This recording is brought to you by the Goodness and Kindness Foundation. If you're walking down the street, smile to a stranger. Do a good thing for someone else. Let's all strive to make our impact in this world order to make the world a better dwelling place for everyone. One small candle can light up a very dark room. So spread as much positivity and kindness with everyone and your surroundings. So that way we can make the world a better and happier and healthier place. Hey everyone, I'm super, super excited to have with us a very, very special guest on Founder Stories. Today we have the absolute honor to have our dear friend, William. William has a phenomenal, phenomenal story of a VC turned entrepreneur founder. But not only that, he has one of the most incredible, inspiring personal stories, which I am personally very excited about. And I think from his personal story, there are so many incredible lessons and advice and many other things that every single individual person is going to be able to apply to their own life. So I am very excited to hear about that. And I'm also very excited, William, to hear about how's it going on being on the other side on the founder journey. So we're going to jump into all of this. So without further ado, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm honored. You're welcome. So to be honest, I came across you on LinkedIn and uh, we spoke about this already. And I was obviously very inspired by the things that you've posted and you're writing a book and many other things. But I want to take it back all the way from the beginning. But before we start that, I always like to start off with, I think is one of the most meaningful things is, what are you grateful for today? Today, I'm mainly grateful for um, even being in the position to be an entrepreneur. You know, the economy is not doing well. There's a lot of layoffs in technology, and that doesn't impact me. And um, that's a very lucky position to be in. So I'm, I'm really, really grateful for that. I'm grateful for the opportunity to try to build a business despite what's going on in the market and to pursue my dream of becoming a successful entrepreneur. Wow. I absolutely love that. And it's like something that I would love to jump into, but I know behind that gratitude is something much more deeper where you were able to even get to a place of being able to express gratitude. And um, we're going to do a deep dive. And for those that don't know, you know, you were sent to America as a young boy at the age of five and without your parents, without anyone, you came to the U.S. and you were adopted by another family. I want, if possible, to go into a bit about that story so people can have a bit of context. But I want to focus more on how that upbringing has shaped you as a person, um, the different values that came about from there, the way how you perceive and look at life differently because of that. And we'll, we'll take it from there. Yeah, definitely. Now, I think the biggest thing that popped into my brain um, at a young age is just realizing the thing that we a lot of us feel eventually in our lives, which is the world's not fair. And you know, how do you deal with that? Um, some people take that unfairness and wallow in it. And I did. I wallowed in it very early in my life. And eventually I was able to sort of see the opportunity and to see the positive side of this dynamic as well. And so that's one thing that it was incredibly painful uh, when I was at a young age because there was a lot of frustration and disappointment and, and sadness. But over time, being able to persevere, that's what created the hope. And then it turned me into a rose-colored glasses person where I see the world in a very positive light because I don't think about what happened to me. I think about what's possible and what I can do 
and what I've already accomplished and the gratitude towards all those accomplishments as well. What was that mindset shift? How did it come about? I started out not being a great student, but I did want to figure out something. Like I wanted to be good at something in my life at a young age. And one of the big things that really came about because of not having parents or uh, active parents was the desire to find role models as well. And so I feel very fortunate. I found some role models that um, they may or may not have known that they were my role models, but there are role models nonetheless that were very genuine, very nice people and very smart. And so that really started setting my desire to be a nice, smart person as well. And then actually starting to accomplish things within school. It got me to become more confident and motivated to keep that going. And then finally, I think the, the big one was being surrounded by smart people when I joined an international baccalaureate program, which was one of the best programs for public school students. And, you know, I think a lot of those experiences sort of helped push me towards realizing the opportunity I had growing up in the United States, like my parents wanted versus growing up in Taiwan, that would have happened if my parents didn't send me off to the United States when I was five. It's very easy for someone to fall into like a pit and essentially live from a place of full resentment, saying, you know, my parents sent me away from them. And, you know, because as your child, you're, you obviously you don't understand these things and the bigger picture of why our parents did it. And even as we're getting older, when we're sometimes able to make that mindset shift, I'm sure through a lot of personal work, our wires essentially could be, you know, rewired differently. And in a sense, it's very easy for us to fall back into a place of resentment and blame. And, you know, why me? And why has the world done this to me? And the opportunities don't come to me. And this could play out in many scenarios. And every person has that version of the story in their own life. But how did you essentially move past that? And then even if it comes up today to a certain degree, um, or how do you live today to make sure that you don't fall into that negative personal spiral pit? I think the, by far, and I hate being one of these people who like talks about gratitude all the time, because it is like a meme now, or like meditating, like all these things that are, are sort of funny because they turn into like humble brags and those kinds of dynamics as well. But I think at the root of all those, people talk about that kind of stuff because it actually helped them. It really did. And it really, really helped me. I mean, being able to look at life in terms of being grateful for both what my parents have done and all the people who have helped me along the way, like selflessly. I think about that a lot and I think about, I need to pay this for it. Um, and spending time thinking about that is sort of like the whole phrase, appreciate what you have, not what, what you don't have as well. And so those, those things really did help me. Meditation did help me. And I don't want to pretend that I'm like this spiritual kind of person, but they did help me and they continue to help me prevent going the spirals and to think about the negatives. And now that I'm like significantly past that childhood experience right now, I'm a self-sufficient human with a goal in life and a career path and a direction and everything, all, all it takes now for me is a lot of energy and a lot of focus to create value. And so it's actually really hard now for me to feel resentment towards that childhood experience. And it's actually really easy for me to feel gratitude towards it. You know, gratitude is, is such a powerful thing. Like you said, it became a meme. But um, 
if practiced properly, it can really, it helps it tremendously. There's so many studies on mental health, practicing gratitude and mental health. But you mentioned values. I wanted to tap into your, your value system. What are some of your values, if you're able to mention them? But also, how do you see your values play a part in your day-to-day life, specifically within your business dealings? One of the things that really surprised me, and it was in a very positive way, I'm very, very happy about it, while moving more into the business world, is the importance of trust, is the importance of authenticity, is the importance of relationships. And I think in school, we all grew up thinking that it's pure academic achievement, it's all grades, and it's all tests, and you're going to do the best in tests, you'll do the best in life, that kind of thing. And in the real world, that's not the case, right? Trust is absolutely critical. And so that's become like, it went from quality relationships because um, I'm an introvert and I want to have deep relationships versus many, many relationships. That quality and value translated into trust in the real world. And so I think that's probably my number one. Again, you know, anything when we talk about values and principles and gratitude, it's all can, can get memefied. So like, even though saying the word trust is the most important is another thing like that. But that has become something where not only do I believe in it, but I've just seen it being validated over and over and over again. And I do think it is a very long-term mentality. And I think it really fits well to my introverted personality as well. Um, I'm not going to be the most charismatic person in the room. I'm not going to be the one telling the fun stories. I'm not going to be the one that, you know, you meet and immediately you love me and you want to spend all, all day with me. I'm not that person. I'd love to be, but I'm not, I can't be that. But what I can be is a trusted friend. And what I can be is someone that is thoughtful, uh, someone that puts in the energy and effort to help others, and someone that uh, you want to be long-term friends with, not short-term friends with as well. Wow. What you just mentioned, like, really hit home. I know for myself personally sometimes, at least, you know, when I was growing up, and even my early days in my career, where you have, let's say, for example, the person that is, uh, the you know, the, the a personality, the person that's outgoing, the person that everyone likes him and everyone like, you know, is attracted to them in the sense from their personality standpoint, they're loud and then the life of the party. And you always, to certain, sometimes in your mind, you're like, you want to be that person. Why can I not be that person? And to hear how you talk about the fact that you're able to accept yourself for who you are and you're able to accept the fact that you are not that person is such a powerful statement. I don't even know if you realize how powerful that is. Wow. I mean, how'd you even get to that place? Because that's a lot of personal, personal inside work to get to a place where it's because there's a lot of ego involved. So you, you have to get rid of jealousy, right? Yeah. You have to practice a lot of humility. Um, and essentially also, you have to make space within yourself for yourself, for you to really accept yourself I know that my journey in life is not to be the life of the party, not to be that total outgoing personality. And I'm okay with just a few meaningful, deep relationships. Yeah. I mean, I do think this is one of the things, you know, I think hardship sort of makes you more of a realist, right? And just knowing that there are a lot of things that you want that you can't have. And that was my whole childhood. A lot of things I wanted, couldn't have it. Um, so I think that's one big component of it. I think the other big component of it is tying this mindset that we're all unique individuals to just the world as well, right? Like how many people are out there in the world today? They're all unique individuals and yet everyone finds their place. Like everyone finds their way to survive, to live, to thrive if they're lucky. Um, and so it means that you can be yourself 
and you can still find your people. You can still find your path. You can still find ways to contribute and to do good and do things that are rewarding to you as well. And so I think the introverted components that did help me a lot as well, the focus on quality over quantity, because if I wanted to be the life of a party and I wanted everyone to like me, I was guaranteed to fail. And I tried, I definitely tried. Uh, like even in high school in this like super high achieving set of students, I ran for student body president whole times and I got that. I got it. But I, even then I realized that it wasn't from being the most popular person. Like I was not the most popular person and charismatic person. What I did was I focused on quality relationships and those people were my champions instead of me running around trying to make myself seem like the most popular important person in my class, my friends were doing it for me. And so I think that's when you start also realizing the power of diversity, the power of working in teams. And so there are things that, like for instance, the charisma, I'm not that person, I'm not the storyteller, but I can work with someone who can pull out that skill when we need it, who is that person. And that's the beautiful thing about humans. Like we are social creatures, right? We do like teams. We do like working with others. And so as long as I can find my way of being a leader or a contributor to a group or to a team in my own way, as long as the other people on the team with me uh, can fill the things I can't do or not do well, then everything will be fine. There's a famous story of, of a very spiritual rabbi in the late 1700s that he always used to give this parable that he used to say that when I come to heaven after 120 years, they're not going to ask me, his name was Zusha. They're not going to ask me, Zusha, why weren't you like X? They're going to ask me, Zusha, why were you not like Zusha? Why are you not like yourself? And um, exactly what you say, that every single individual person has their unique mission of what they're here for in this world for. And no two people are the same. And, you know, the problem is that we cannot compare stories. It's more about, you know, identifying shared meaningful experiences in someone else's story or in someone else's life. So that way you can take strength and hope from it instead of actually comparing apples to apples, oranges to oranges. And I want to turn this a little bit into VC. You just finished your career at Forge Point Capital, great venture capital firm. You were managing partner over there. But I find a lot that there is a lot of ego in venture capital. There is a lot of ego. There is a lot of people trying to be the life of the party. How did you find your personality and the way you interacted helped you get ahead in venture capital with your own, and you were able to end off where you ended off and how that was able to benefit the founders you worked with too? So I was in venture for over a decade. I struggled. I struggled really hard in the beginning stages of venture. You know, on the analytics side, I loved that. I was great at it, very proud of it. Um, when I started needing to become more of a networker or sourcing deals, um, I struggled really hard. What I learned, and it continues back to the themes I wish I knew at that point in time, uh, but now looking back is a very obvious theme, which is the return to quality over quantity. I, I think when we started the sourcing journey, we all think about quality, we think about sales, right? Like paying tons and tons of people, Someone will respond when you get the opportunity to talk to them, try to, you know, sell them, that kind of thing. And then eventually you'll have a warm lead or something like that. And in fact, when I first started sourcing, we had like a CRM and then we did the whole shebang of like creating leads and emailing and cold calling and the whole thing. And I was terrible at it. Terrible, terrible, terrible. I did not enjoy it. 
And what really helped me unlock my ability to sort of take, go to the next level in sourcing and then creating relationships and then joining boards and making investments, that was from focusing on quality. And so uh, when I transitioned to covering multiple things in enterprise to just enterprise security, that was the first inflection point in my career. Uh, the very next thing that was very important to me was being able to talk to talk. Uh, so I took multiple SANS courses as well. And that allowed me to actually understand why security mattered and what were the common phrases. And then I listened to an insane number of podcasts, like every single day, two hours of podcasts. And I sort of kept on learning by osmosis in terms of what was important security, why didn't people care, um, what were the current problems, like the whole shebang. Eventually I turned into an expert in security and I could talk to CISOs for hours, uh, entrepreneurs for hours, and then it gradually became a resource for not just my organization, but I became a resource for founders, I became a resource for other VCs, I became a resource for CISOs. And I found ways to be helpful and to everyone. And that's what helped propel me to becoming a managing director at ForgePoint, was becoming this tried and true, thoughtful, helpful resource for different people. I love how you took knowing who you are and made that into your power tool. I want to clarify, I did not know who I was. Uh, I, it was luck. It was <laughs> luck. It was luck. Uh, like it was a lot of cause and effect, hypothesis and, and experimenting. And I did want to be similar again. I wanted to be that, you know, person that emailed 300 people per day, took 30 calls per day. And then those 30 calls, you know, qualified them into one phenomenal lead per week. And then in a year, I'd had 50 really quality leads to figure out and then invest in. I wanted to be that person because that was what was taught. Like we're essentially salespeople, but that wasn't me. I, I couldn't do it. Um, and I couldn't be successful at that model. And so the focus, it was an hypothesis. It was like, oh, I think I would do better if I only did one thing. And I think I would do better if I would, you know, learned the actual industry that I was in. And it all sounds obvious now in hindsight to me, but at the time it wasn't obvious. It was very much sort of like trying a lot of different things and then figuring out what worked for me and then continuing the things that worked for me. I have so many questions about that. <laughs> you know, how'd you go about experimenting? What experiments did you do? But um, this process of learning and relearning and you know, falling down and getting back up and overcoming all the obstacles. I'm assuming is something that you're currently going through now again as you start your founder journey. And we'll get into right after this why you even decided to go down this founder journey at all and leave a, a lucrative position. Venture is the most incredible, incredible position, a very, very honorable, privileged place to be. I think it's one of the most amazing jobs out there in the world. So like why you even decided to go down this founder journey, which is probably the polar opposite, the hardest job in the world. But before that, I want to touch upon this aspect because we're on this topic of relearning and learning and falling down. And how are you doing that now? And how are you, obviously with age and your previous experience, you know that after every falling down, you rise up higher. But I'm assuming it's still hard again. It's hard to relearn again, the whole entire process. Um, you're probably learning new things about yourself. Being a founder requires a totally different skill set than being an investor. You definitely have to go out of your comfort zone much, much more, for sure. 
how is that coming along? You know, I had some hypotheses when I made this transition, right? Uh, I was in venture for a decade more. I talked to so many founders. I was became the trusted coach for so many people. And I also helped start companies as well. Like there's one where I'm still on the board of Symmetry Systems, where I'm a founding investor. We invested when there were two people. Um, and I've been working with them every single week since for years. And so I've been seeing that journey. So I thought I would learn maybe 10x of what I thought I knew about the founding journey. And it's definitely more than that. It's like, I don't even know how to quantify it. Like, is it 50x? Is it 100x more than I thought I knew? I don't know, but it's definitely more than 10x. And then emotionally, it yes, it went from a privileged position where I can work as hard as I wanted to and to now I have to work. <laughs> like there is no minimum amount of work. And emotionally, yeah, significantly more than 10x in terms of stress and ups and downs as well. But, you know, I think on my end, I love learning. I love challenges. Even when I started my career in investment making, I thought about how much I was learning in my first year and I was top tier and then second year, top tier. I learned so little my second year of investment making. And so I was like, this cannot be a career for me because there's a lot of aspects about investment banking that aren't a good fit for me. But then the other one was I need to do a whole different job in investment banking to start learning again. And I need to move from associate or analyst to not even associate. I need to skip straight to VP in order to start learning again. And that just wasn't a good fit for me. For me, venture, I was shocked, delighted by how long I could be learning in venture. There are so many freaking things to learn in venture. Like, I think that entire decade plus was very productive in terms of learnings. And in fact, it led to me writing a book on fundamentals of venture capital, which I don't even think encompasses everything that uh, one could learn after a decade of venture capital. But, you know, there was still more to learn venture. No question about it. I don't think it was teetering off at all. But becoming a founder was an exponential jump in terms of opportunity to learn because there's so much low-hanging fruit that I had not learned yet that I have to learn in order to be a successful founder. And so if I measure myself by learning, um, this has been a phenomenal, amazing journey. And the relearning, I love that you recognize that. That's exactly right. I'm relearning so many things I learned in venture, right? I thought this and now I'm saying, oh, actually, no, it's that. It's similar, but it's not exactly that. Um, not exactly what I originally thought as well. And in fact, I think it's making me a better person. It's making me useful, more useful as a resource to people as well. Because now I can not only understand the how a successful company becomes successful, but I also know the why and all of the emotional toil that it took and the time and the struggle it took to get to that point as well. So I think it's making me a significantly better person and skills. And it's also a phenomenal humbling experience as well. It gives me a sense of, you know, back to my childhood days, right? Like there are some people who are going to be obscenely helpful, like more helpful than, than like, and crazy grateful for. Uh, those are, you know, design partners, advisors, et cetera. And there are going to be some people who just aren't interested in being involved, right? They enjoyed being involved and collaborating when I was on doing VC. They're not as interested in my founder journey. And it is what it is, you know. I made the change. I didn't force them to make the change, right? And so it has been sort of a, a really good return to my roots, sort of like, who am I? Uh, who are the people I want to spend all my time with? How can I be the most 
productive as productive as I can in terms of creating value for society. And you know, it's only preparing me for my next big shakeup. After this one, I'm not done. I have one more big goal after this one as well. And I've been loving the experience so far. What are some of the current challenges um, or the challenges that you are going through or have gone through in this journey? I think the biggest one is meshing my understanding of the world versus other people's understandings of the world. I think after a decade of venture, I have a really good sense of all, you know, exactly what each person is thinking um, and how I can uh, help them. All right. Like how I can make this a productive conversation. And we don't go down too many rabbit holes that lead to nothing. We go down productive conversational paths. On this end now, there are, are a lot of conversations where I don't know where it's going to end. And it end, might end in a rabbit hole. And in fact, it does all the time. And so on my end, it's been one where uh, it hurts me because I crave efficiency. I crave making good use of people's time, uh, especially when they're giving it. And I crave making efficient use of my own time as well, because we only have so much time on this world. I've been given this opportunity to be in the U.S., to grow, to be a founder now. I want to make a good, great use of my time as well. And so it hurts me on the efficiency front. And so that's been the, the biggest thing I've had to battle. I've had to battle my frustration of wanting something to happen faster, but it's not because I have to figure it out as well. And product market fit is not something, there's no program. There's no like recipe to achieve product market fit. You have to experiment. There's going to be a ton of inefficiency, no matter how much, whether you're a multi-time entrepreneur, first-time entrepreneur, whatever it is, it always feels like luck when you achieve product market fit. And I recognize that. And so for me, I'm trying to give myself more patience and say, hey, I'm going to do all the right things. Everything I know how to do right uh, and everything that my advisors, my mentors, my coaches are helping me do right, I'm going to do all those things as, as correct as I can. And then I have to be patient because product market fit can't guarantee it, but I'm going to do everything I can to try to find it uh, as well. You know, it's amazing to hear is a constant recurring theme so far that I'm hearing from a few standpoints in the conversation. And the most recurring theme I'm hearing is is gratitude, which is you know amazing to hear. You know, hence what we spoke about in the beginning of the conversation. I'm hearing you going through your whole entire journey at the constantly rehear the gratitude, rehear the gratitude. You know, grateful for being in this country, grateful for the education you received, grateful for being in all the positions you've been in. It's such an an amazing, amazing thing. It's just incredible, and I really wanted to point that out because as I'm listening to this. You know, me, myself, I'm feeling more gratitude and just getting more inspired by your story, which is incredible. But going back to where we mentioned right before we got on this topic right now, um, why did you want to become a founder? Why did you want to do, you know, one of the the hardest things possible? Um, there are so many reasons. And so I'm trying to choose. And it's going to be too hard to choose, so I'm not going to choose. I'm just going to start talking and then we'll go whichever direction we want to go. Go wherever it takes you. Yeah. Go wherever it takes you. This is not order of priority because um, per day, the reasons why I want to be a founder changes. Right now, the first thing I'm thinking about is the opportunity to be helpful in a different way, right? Like by being a founder, I am one step closer to everything, right? Board member, CEO, one step closer to everything. Team, in terms of being able to build an amazing team, in terms of being able to set the culture and, and influence and guide and help and grow their careers. Customers, in terms of, I see their problem, I can be a problem solver. I love being a problem solver. Love that. 
and then creation, like the opportunity to create one step closer to creation. And creation is like, it's like crazy. It's like you're creating something out of nothing. Like when we think about, there's just so many instances of creation in, in our lives that are just feel impossible. Like when we really think about it, creating another human life, another soul, that seems, that's like, seems like a miracle. It is, it is a miracle, right? And so is plants. Like this plant grew out of the seed. What out of what? like water and sunlight what is going on here right similar situation creating a company creating a product all these things out of nothing that that seems that's a miracle and so i want to be one more one step closer to it the theme that we mentioned before quality over quantity right instead of having portfolio companies putting all my effort all my energy into one company um that's a really good fit for me uh in terms of this, this desire instead of me like as a board member, as an investor, my goal, my customer are my founders and my CEOs um, and my LPs that, that I'm investing funds on top of, my my team and you know, all that kind of stuff. But now my customer is the actual customer, people who actually have the problems, who need the solution. And so it just seems very natural to me as well in terms of being able to um, create the value and, and the, um, the goodness that I want to create in the world. The second one, I think is really important to me. Um, I do a lot of career coaching. I do a lot of mentoring. I do a lot of working with recruiters and hiring managers and just, you know, I've helped at least 20. I haven't done the count recently, but it's at least 20 is probably between 30 and 50 people with either the career coaching, helping them find a job, helping them interview, helping them decide between different jobs. like. I love this opportunity to have such a deep impact in someone's life. And by creating a company and hopefully be, become successful and becomes this large organization, the number of opportunities for me to directly impact someone's life grows exponentially. And not only am I helping them make the decision, I'm the one making the decision or I'm the one extending the offer, right? I'm creating the option. Let me rephrase that. I'm creating the options so that they can make a decision as well. And so for me, when I think about my purpose in this world, my purpose in this world is to impact other people's lives. And by starting a company, I'm not impacting the lives of the CEOs and the founders that I'm funding. I'm impacting people's lives directly or much more directly than before. That part makes me happy. Like for instance, you know, even, even right now, even in the early stages, I'm already feeling really happy because of my founding team, like I'm, I'm creating the opportunity, the option for them to be involved. I'm creating that for, for advisors, for design partners. These are all options and they get to choose. And these options didn't exist before. And once they join, my opportunity is to make their experience productive, make their experience enjoyable, make them feel accepted as humans as well. And that's all just like, it's sort of like me trying to be a parent for everyone else because I didn't have parents. And that's the dynamic. When you're pitching now to raise funds or pitching to find design partners and customers, are you able to really, I mean, I'm sure you have more empathy now for the founder journey, but like, has that been difficult for you to find yourself on the other side to do all these things that people have been pitching to you constantly the whole entire time? The only times it's been hard is when I felt I did something that was inefficient. Like I paying someone that wasn't interested in the problem that we're tackling, or we took three hours to talk about something that we could have accomplished in one hour. That, that hurts, um, and that really, um, because I really have a lot of respect for people's time 
and my own time, my team's time, that kind of thing. But in terms of the traditional problems that a first-time entrepreneur might have, right, which is not even deficiency of the time, but even having the opportunity to spend the time with a potential design partner. Luckily, we we don't have that problem, and of course, I'm grateful for it. It's an unfair advantage that we have. But the part that really hits home for me is not just the the gratitude that it exists that we have it, but what really hits home for me is that people want to help. Like it's not a pulling motion, it's a pushing motion for, for them. It's them saying, hey, your company's in stealth. What does it do? I wanna help, you know, tell me when, that kind of dynamic. That's when I really feel like, holy shit. Um, and that's what gives me the childhood feelings, right? Of someone doing something selfless. And I was just saying, what did I do to deserve this kind of dynamic? And so that's, that's how I feel about all the design partners. But what is really amazing to me is uh, people just jumping in head first. Not saying, hey, give me all the terms. Tell me how much this is going to cost. I want this deal. You know, if you want my time, let's do this first. Like, there's none of that. It's just like they jump in and we test it out and we figure it out and we see what's possible. We see what's happened. That is something where I do feel unfair advantage makes our life a lot easier, and which is great. And I think, why does that happen? There's a long-term relationship. There's a trust. And then there's also just the desire on all sides to do something thoughtful, productive, create something that didn't exist before. There's a lot of a lot of these themes. And I feel grateful that like, when people tell me why they want to be involved, the general theme is there's just so much trust that they know I'll do the right thing. And and that's so important to me, right? Like to do the right thing. And so that's I think what leads to people jumping in head first, feet first, without looking. And so I'm excited to sort of get this startup off the ground and start building a rocket ship with strong foundations. Amazing. You know, I love to always inherently believe, and I don't just love, I truly believe that every single human being is a good person that really wants to help. It's in our DNA. It's in everything we want to help other people. Obviously, life happens and things get obscured and things get covered over. But if you remove all the dust, let's say with inside a person, you're going to uncover a gem, a true gem. And that gem is pure without any hatred or purely selfless. And it, we all want to help each other because the only way we're able to power forward is through the power of community, the power of helping each other out. And that's the only way. You recently wrote a book called The VC Field Guide, which is coming out soon. Um, you know, talk to me about it. Why did you write it? What's it about? And like, who do you think should read it? So I felt like I had a very hard journey in venture, especially in the early stages. It got easier and easier as I sort of found my place within it. Um, and I saw a lot of people have hard journeys as well. And when I think about the, the common coaching or mentoring kind of sessions I do have, a lot of them were focused on, of course, my day job, venture, right? Like, why do VC do this? Is this good? What do you think about this idea? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so it made me realize that not only do VCs care about this, but everyone around the startup entrepreneurship ecosystem cares. And so then I decided, okay, it's probably a good idea to try to write a book. And so that instead of one hour of quality time, there's multiple hours of dense, thoughtful words that they can read. 
And that only ups, up levels the next conversation we have together as well, right? Um, because they know the framework of how I think about it. They learn, they read a bunch of my learnings as well. So I, I felt like it was a really good way to scalably provide value that I've, I've already been doing. The part where I'm hopeful, this is where I do not know what happens is what about other audiences? So I talked about customers would be a good fit. Of startups would be a good fit. Uh, investors, of course, startups would be a good fit. Founders themselves and entrepreneurs themselves are a phenomenal fit. And the people who join startups are a great fit. Acquirers of startups are a great fit. I mean, this is sort of the framework is, should you spend your time with this particular startup? That's basically it, right? Like we are all investors investing in terms of our time. Should you should spend time with them? Like maybe they're even a client and you have multiple client offers, right? You can work with five different clients, but you only have so much time. Which client do you choose? In fact, one of my um, one of my early readers, my well, collaborators for this book, that's what they said. They said after seeing this lens, they're like, "Holy crap!" Now they know which client they want to work with and not as well. And so the audience, the brand new audience, I'm testing whole new world. Writing a book is a whole new world. You know, agents, editors, publishers, distributors, reviewers, all that's brand new. That was a phenomenal learning experience. The next one I'm looking at now is how do I get this book in the hands of students, both undergraduate and MBA students. And it's not crazy, but like the tests that I just haven't even remotely started thinking about, but I would like to happen is maybe even high school students, right? And so I've already started on the MBA side. I'm collaborating with the professor to build a course, leveraging the book on the MBA side. Um, I'm also talking with someone to create a course for LPs, so executive education side as well. And so what I'm seeing right now in terms of the perfect audiences, these are usually people who are already in the workforce and they're either investing or involved with startups and they want to sort of have more knowledge in terms of making better decisions. And then I'm just gradually shifting left until eventually, I think high school is probably as, as left as I can get. I don't think I need to target elementary school or middle school students in terms of the book as well. But the intent for the book is to be, a, it's a fundamentals book. So it's meant for anyone. It's not supposed to answer every single question that you might have on venture capital. It's supposed to give you sort of the beginning layers and fill in any gaps in the foundations that someone, someone might have. Well, I know personally, I'm very, very excited to read it. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. I think the publishing date is in a few days, actually, or I think it's being released on Amazon. Um, I actually checked it out yesterday. I saw the pre-orders. So I'm looking forward to that. You know, if we had to go back and we had to look at a will that is uh, leaving university for the first time and you are, you know, 21, 22 at that period of time and you have all options in front of you to restart your career, your life, what message would you tell yourself at that point in time? The quality over quantity. That's the key to my life. And it's tempting, crazy tempting, because there's so many options in the world and so many people doing so many amazing things. Where You want to keep as many options as possible. But I think coming out of school, if I had sort of focused on quality first, I don't think my career path would change significantly because I'm, I'm pretty happy with the direction of it. I think what would change is the frustration and the grass is always greener and the resentment like, oh, I wish X, Y, Z. I wish, I wish, I wish that kind of stuff. And um, instead focus on sort of where can I execute things the way that 
I'm good at executing things versus the way that everyone else is doing it. And, you know, out of college, there's going to be a lot of unknowns and I won't exactly know where I can do it. But when you find them, when I find them, or if younger self version we found them, to focus on those instead of trying to do something that other people are good at, but I'm not good at. Will, I want to thank you. I have learned a tremendous amount from this conversation. I, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. And I know no doubt that a tremendous amount of people are going to benefit from listening to your story, your career journey, um, and just in general, the lessons that you learn, you learn every day and the, how you apply your values into your, your day-to-day life, which is the most important thing because, you know, business and life are not two separate entities. You know, the way we show up in one place is the way how we show up in the other place. And our values carry over. And to hear how you practice essentially your values of, of gratitude, of humility, of respect, and, you know, being a student of life and applying that on a day-to-day basis and being a mentor and a coach and friend and, you know, focusing on the quality versus the quantity and narrowing focus are such important things that I know I personally can apply into my own life, but I know also that many, many thousands of people are going to benefit from listening to this too. So I want to thank you so much for your time. I want to wish you a ton of success in your new startup journey, which I know is going to be successful, God willing. And obviously I'm here to help in any way possible. And I want to thank you very, very much for coming and sharing your story with us on the podcast. Of course, of course. I enjoy the conversation. I'm grateful for the opportunity. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this conversation and you're able to take something out to apply to your personal or professional life today. Remember, the mission of the Founder Stories podcast is to provide to you with the most incredible conversations possible so you can get inspired. Now, before you go, please don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. Because when you leave a review, you are doing your part in helping other people come across and find this podcast. Now, if you have any suggestions, ideas, or feedback, or anything else you'd like to tell me about this show, please email me at afrayim at 1000hires.com or find me on LinkedIn at Afrayim Yarmak. I very much look forward to hearing from you and I hope you have an awesome, awesome week.